Donald Trump has been warning us for a long time about the threat posed by China. And now we are learning the hard way that he was right. Too much of our medical supplies and medicine comes from China. And amidst this global pandemic, we now need resources, supplies that we can't even produce ourselves, which has led Donald Trump to invoke the Defense Production Act as a response to the global pandemic. Now, this gives Trump sweeping powers to basically control the consumer market and production in America. And on the surface, it's kind of alarming, this level of power for the federal government. But it's not just something Donald Trump has called for. In fact, Bernie Sanders has also called for the same thing. And now Joe Biden as well. We have overwhelming bipartisan support for a wartime provision. The Defense Production Act was was instituted during the Korean War. We are now seeing it invoked today as the market plunges for the fourth unprecedented market halt. We are in dire straits. And now we need some emergency provisions. Normally, I would be very, very reluctant to stand behind or agree with something like this. But I think we're in a dangerous predicament. We don't have the manufacturing in our own country, and it needs to change, and it needs to change fast. Apparently, Bernie Sanders even agrees. And I think if we can unite left and right on this one, we have a common cause that we must, we must implement. Now, surprisingly, we are seeing MSNBC say that we need to support this president and help him succeed. And CNN's Dana Bash saying this is the leader the people need right now. Not, it's not perfect. There are still many people smearing the president, going after Fox News, playing to partisan politics because we're still in an election season. For me, I'm not a big fan of it. I think we need to move beyond this for now. We can, we can stop bickering and pointing the finger at least for the next couple of months because we're facing a serious threat. The market is tanking. It dipped below 20,000 for the fourth time in this past week or so. We are seeing the market stop. It's being halted because the drops are so serious. There's a time and a place for arguing about policy. But right now we can see that we've got leaders, be it Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders or Trump, now saying this is the right move. And I know a lot of people are going to be mad. They don't like Bernie. They don't like Biden. That's fine. We can set these things aside and talk about what we, we, uh, what we agree on right now. Let's read this story from The Hill. Trump invokes Defense Production Act as coronavirus response. And then I'll go, for, go over what exactly, what, which powers this grants to the president. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com donate if you'd like to support my work. There are several ways you can give. The best thing you can do, share this video. It really does help as YouTube and other networks seek to suppress or lose the ability to actually moderate appropriately. Many people are getting struck down, having videos removed. And by, by you sharing this, you overcome much of that burden and help me grow my channel. Let's read from the Hill. President Trump announced Wednesday he will invoke the Defense Production Act, which will allow the administration to force American industry to ramp up production of medical supplies that are in short supply in the fight against the coronavirus pandemic. Hospitals and states have pleaded with the administration for more supplies to protect doctors and nurses on the front lines of this pandemic. There's never been an uh, there's never been an instance like this where no matter what you have, it's not enough. Trump said at a White House briefing with reporters, if we need to use it, we'll be using it at full speed ahead. Many health workers have said they are quickly running out of personal protective equipment like masks and gowns that are crucial to ensuring they don't get sick. Hospitals are also sounding the alarm on the lack of ventilators or breathing machines that are expected to be in high demand as the coronavirus spreads in the coming weeks and months. 
Andrew Cuomo recently, as I've stated 50 billion times now, says the peak could be in 45 days. Now is the time to act. And I think Trump is making the right call. Democrats in Congress hearing about shortages of supplies from hospitals in their states and districts have urged Trump to invoke the Defense Production Act to direct the domestic production of necessary medical equipment. This would ensure we have the materials we need at the ready rather than wait for the disruptions in the global supply chain to subside. 57 House Democrats wrote in a letter to Trump last week. Supply chains are extremely strained due to tariffs on China, the main supplier of medical goods to the U.S., And the supply chain is strained because we're in the midst of a global pandemic and because China is an adversary. Let's not forget that as well. While the Trump administration has recently taken some action to ease those tariffs, China and other countries are blocking exports of those products as they seek to combat the pandemic. More than 200,000 cases have been confirmed worldwide, including 6,500 cases in the United States, according to Johns Hopkins University. Of the 115 people who have died in the U.S., most were elderly and had underlying health conditions. Trump and public health officials in recent days have urged Americans to practice social distancing to slow the spread of the virus. So we understand that stuff. I want to show you a few of the very, very important things. Now, listen, there's a lot of people who don't like Trump and you need to stop and pause for one second. You, you, you don't have to like the man. We're talking about actions to save the lives of Americans, including people you know and likely care about. Bernie Sanders recently called for money to be sent to Americans, which we now may see because even Donald Trump agrees. And in BuzzFeed, they report to address the possible shortage of medical facilities. Sanders proposed calling on the National Guard and the Army Corps of Engineers to expand hospital facilities and build mobile testing centers. He also called for the invoking for invoking the Defense Production Act passed in 1950 during the Korean War in order to guarantee production of necessary supplies like face masks. And as I mentioned earlier, people in media have been praising the president, CNN and MSNBC. And I'll I'll read you what they said, but I want to show you what the Defense Production Act is first. This article from Wikipedia, they say the act is a federal law enacted in 1950 in response to the start of the Korean War. It was part of a broad civil defense and war mobilization effort in the context of the Cold War. Now, remember this. This is important. I'm going to show you an op-ed from Tucker Carlson in a second. It's implementing regulations. The defense priorities and allocation system are located are, are, are located at 15 CFR. Since 1950, the act has been reauthorized over 50 times. It has been periodically amended and remains in force. Now, here's what it allows the president to do. The act contains three major sections. The first authorizes the president to require businesses to sign contracts or fulfill orders deemed necessary for national defense. The second authorizes the president to establish mechanisms such as regulations, orders and agencies to allocate materials, services and facilities to promote national defense. The third section authorizes the president to control the civilian economy so that scarce and or critical materials necessary to the national defense effort are available for defense needs. The act also authorizes the president to requisition property, force industry to expand production and the supply of basic resources, impose wage and price controls, settle labor disputes, control consumer and real estate credit, establish contractual priorities and allocate raw materials towards national defense. The president's authority to place contracts under the DPA is part of the act most often used by the Department of Defense since the 1970s. Most of the other functions of the act are administered 
administered by the Office of Strategic Industries and Economic Security in the Bureau of Industry and Security in the Department of Commerce. The Defense Priorities and Allocation System institutes a rating system for contracts and purchase orders. The highest priority is DX, which must be approved by the Secretary of Defense. The next level down is DO, and below that are are unrated contracts. These powers are broad, and these powers are scary. I am a very, very liberty-minded individual, and upon reading this, I was actually a bit scared. But I'll be honest with you, the threat posed by China is much scarier, and the threat posed by the current global pandemic and the economic destabilization are also scarier. I can see bipartisan support for this, with many Democrats saying, I'll put it this way, when 57 Democrats, Bernie Sanders and Biden all come out and say, please, Trump, invoke these powers, and they say Trump should have more federal power, that's striking. And you know what? I'm not going to be the one to act like I know better than a bipartisan effort. I appreciate the coming together from people who normally really don't like each other if it means we can solve these problems and stand together as a country. We have a common enemy right now. And for the most part, it's the global pandemic. Now we have a common adversary in China, and we need to start recognizing it's time to make some serious changes. This story from Fox News is from May 30th. Keep that in mind. May 30th, America too dependent on China for its medicine, experts warn. And I'm sure there have been experts warning about this for a lot longer than I've even realized. In a segment a couple of days, a couple of days ago, I talked about how in September they were warning about this. Well, it turns out I did a little more digging. I found one from May and I'm willing to bet you can go back further and see more of the same. For a long time, our experts have been telling us we have to bring back our production. This has to stop. And unfortunately, we are learning the hard way. But now to the Cold War comment, Tucker Carlson's op-ed four hours ago from Fox News, when the coronavirus passes, we must treat China like a dangerous Cold War adversary. And dare I say it, he's right. They've been pressing on the South China Sea. They've been expanding military operations on Pacific atolls, and they have been pressuring the United States and making veiled threats towards us for some time. They have been lying, manipulating in in social media, and we know it. They are a dangerous adversary, and they are just barely stepping on the line. They are pushing our boundaries to see how far we can go. And the last thing we want is war. But China as a country is horrifying. The things they've done and the things they do and the things they're continuing to do or threatening to do. I'm not saying we should ever escalate tensions, but we should certainly bolster our defenses, secure our borders and establish strong manufacturing in this country because it's so easy to screech about the orange man when you are safe. Let's read what Tucker has to say, and then I want to show you what happens when, so, when, when, when you see these people who hate Trump, the orange man bad crowd, when their safety is threatened, we see their tune change fast. Tucker writes for Fox News. So once the coronavirus passes, and thank God at some point it will pass, the temptation will be in the United States to return to where we were before. But we can't do that. There's too much to fix, and we've just learned that. This disaster arrived here for a number of reasons. Some of them we could not control. In the age of air travel, disease will always travel quickly. Pandemics are inevitable. We should accept that. But our responses to them are not inevitable. Nobody forced us to outsource the production of essential medical supplies to China. Our leaders did that, and they did that on purpose. They don't want to talk about it now at all, but they did it, and it was a crime. I don't know if I would go as far as Tucker to say it was a crime, 
but it was amoral, unethical, and dare I say, to a certain degree, some of it was evil. Sometimes people didn't realize what they were doing. They were ignorant. They saw this bill. They said, free trade. You, saw, you see a bolstering of the economy. It's good for us. And they said, good, good, let's do it. But then you had some people who saw short-term gains, a benefit for themselves, and they sold us out and they put us in a vulnerable position. And for this, I'm talking about some of the stories we've seen recently with academics taking, you know, they're in on the take with China and they're lying to the feds about the money they're receiving because they want the money, they want the power, and they are sacrificing all of us and our security for it. Tucker writes, when the country is well enough to function normally, we're going to have to change that immediately for our own sake and for the sake of our children. We need to move essential manufacturing back to the United States. It's crazy not to. More broadly, we'll need to start treating China like the dangerous Cold War level adversary it has clearly become. Now, a lot of people like to point out that Trump will watch Tucker and then a day later will agree with Tucker. But this opinion and Trump's actions are all coming around the same time, the same time as Bernie Sanders calling for the invocation of the Defense Production Act. I think we can see that we all get the problem now. Even Joe Biden, 57 Democrats. It's about time we got on the same page. And I'm glad to see it happening. This, this gives me hope. I know we're in dark times right now. The market, what's happening is scary. People are losing their jobs. A potential unemployment rate of 20%. But when I see the coming together of conservative pundits, left-wing pundits, Trump Democrats, it gives me hope. Because I've been bullish on, on a, a coming conflict between the political factions. But now we have a common enemy, and it's not necessarily China. It's pandemic. It's the weakness of our manufacturing base. Let's read more. Tucker says, don't let them lie to you. This crisis began in China, and that's significant. Whether coronavirus escaped from a bioresearch lab, as independent Chinese scientists have claimed, or arose in a filthy street market selling wild animals for food. Either way, China's third world health practices played a central role in this disaster. The virus grew to a pandemic because Chinese officials silenced health authorities in that country who tried to warn the public about it. Even now, the Chinese government is determined to crush any unsanctioned reporting from the country. He goes on to say something I brought up the other day that they're kicking out American journalists. I'll I'll tell you what, I often find myself agreeing with Tucker Carlson as a fairly moderate person. It's, It's rather interesting. I saw Tucker, I don't know if you saw the debate between him and Cenk Uygur of the Young Turks, but Tucker's, he's a good dude. I think he can be a little, uh, uh, he insults people sometimes, but I'm, I have tremendous respect for, for his, his perspective and what he's brought so far to the conversation. Right now, many people are playing a video of Fox News personalities early on downplaying the coronavirus and then later calling out the threat that it is. Notably, Tucker Carlson isn't among the crowd because Tucker is, he's, he's in front of these things very often. And he called this out early. So they couldn't really smear him as much, even though they tried to get him canceled. But I also want to call out those people that are sharing this video, mocking the the, the Fox personalities for being late to the party. My motto, my, my, the, the way I approach this is when someone does the right thing, you don't mock them for it. You say, thank you for now doing the right thing. Why would you complain that these people got new information and changed their opinions and then sought to inform their audience? That's a good thing. The best thing you could do is tell them in the future, try and be a little bit earlier, but thank you for doing the right thing. If you want to attack someone who's now trying to do the right thing, you'll only push them away. Which brings me now to Joe Scarborough and CNN, who I believe deserve tremendous respect for the statements they've put out in the past couple of days. In this story from Raw Story, quote, 
Two million Americans could die. MSNBC's Morning Joe explains staggering challenge from coronavirus. I am no fan of MSNBC, and I am typically critical of Fox News to a certain degree. I'm not a fan of the pundit shows on Fox News. I'm not a fan of the pundit shows on MSNBC. Typically, the reporting is okay, but the punditry can be kind of boring. I actually think Fox News has one of the best anchors in the business in Brett Baer, who's a straightforward news guy. Much respect. But MSNBC, man, to see Joe Scarborough come out and, and talk about how important it is that we take this seriously and help the president succeed, tremendous respect. You don't have to like President Trump. There are a lot of things about his policies and positions that I strongly disagree with, notably foreign policy, Saudi Arabia. I'm not going to get into it. The point is, now is not the time. Now is the time I agree with Joe Scarborough. Hey, it's not coming for me. You can accuse me of everything in the book of, of being biased or whatever. I'm not, I'm not here to say this. I'm here to tell you that I am in agreement with MSNBC's Joe Scarborough, that we must make sure this president succeeds now more than ever. MSNBC's Joe Scarborough and presidential historian John Meacham agreed the United States was facing a challenge almost as encompassing as World War II. The Morning Joe host praised President Donald Trump for finally seeming to understand the severity of the threat from the coronavirus, which could deliver grave and unknowable consequences to the nation in the coming months. And that is the right, right way to frame it. If Trump was, was doing wrong early on, if he was downplaying it and he changed his tune, then the president has my respect for now doing the right thing. It was a sobering report that was delivered this weekend. Two million, up to two million Americans could die from the coronavirus, Scarborough said. That's actually, think about it. More Americans than die that then died in World War I, World War II, Vietnam, and the Cold War combined. It's a staggering number. The same thing happened in Great Britain, where they reversed course after finding out their models yesterday could lead to 250,000 British citizens dying. So there was, without a doubt, an awakening there. The White House is unusually focused and frightened about what is coming. Scarborough said he spoke to high-ranking officials who told him the situation was going to get very bad. And it would require a staggering level of commitment from the government and the populace to fight back. This isn't like 9-11. This is like World War II, Scarborough said. It is going to change the way we live as Americans. And the atmosphere inside the White House was very sober. As I hear the president yesterday talking about voluntary measures and then suggesting they may have to lock down so-called hotspots, I was thinking that's actually the best way to go at first, because we Americans might not respond as well. Certainly not as well as, let's say, people in China, people in Singapore, to federal government locking things down. It is going region by region, state by state, locality by locality. Meacham agreed, and the policies would likely get more draconian as he expanded on Scarborough's comparison to World War II. The analogy I keep thinking of is less about America during World War II, because though we mobilized, we did it very late. Obviously, after Pearl Harbor and Germany declared war on us, 16 million Americans served, 11% of the male population, 2 million in Europe. I think this is more like England and Britain during World War II, Meacham added. Civilians are actually combatants, if you will, if you follow the analogy. Everybody was at the front, right? Churchill said in the great finest hour speech, you know, let us so conduct ourselves that if the British Empire were to last 1,000 years, men will still say this was their finest hour. He needed everybody because Germany was dropping bombs on everybody. We were living right now. The Luftwaffe is overhead in the form of a pandemic. It requires, dare I say it, Churchill-like leadership. Joe Scarborough said that we need to do everything we can to help support this president succeed. 
I completely agree, and I will reiterate my utmost respect to Joe Scarborough for this. And Dana Bash as well. CNN's Dana Bash praises Trump's press conference, the kind of leader that people need. I'm glad to see it finally happening. Now is the time for a somber and serious attitude. Trump has brought that. CNN and MSNBC agree. Now is the time where bipartisan support is calling for these expanded powers, and even those who hate Trump recognize it. CNN chief political correspondent Dana Bash praised President Trump's press conference addressing the coronavirus pandemic Tuesday, saying he demonstrated the kind of leadership Americans need in a crisis. This is an important thing to note and to applaud from an American standpoint, from a human standpoint, Ms. Bash said on CNN's Inside Politics. He is being the kind of leader that people, that people need, at least in tone today and yesterday, that people need and want and yearn for in times of crisis and uncertainty. Donald Trump is absolutely a wartime president, at least in my opinion. This is, this is something different. As Tucker uh, mentioned, we are facing a serious potential Cold War threat from China or Cold War level threat, but we're still in the midst of the coronavirus crisis that could see up to 2 million people lose their lives. So we absolutely must put down the partisan bickering and stand by the president to the best of our abilities. Now, keep in mind, if he's doing things wrong, he must be criticized. Keep in mind, no matter how much they expand the federal authorities' uh, powers, we must remember these powers need, need to always be kept temporary. And that's what's worrying to me. The Defense Protection Act was implemented in 1950, and it's been used 50 times since then. We can see that when the federal government gains powers, they do not give it up. And that's my biggest fear in all of this. But I got to say, I'm more worried about what happens if we don't bring back manufacturing. I'm more worried about what happens if this pandemic reaches the worst case scenario and what that means for America. So I, for one, you know, I'm a little freaked out by everything. I got to be honest, but I will do what, what, what needs to be done in the face of this threat. If the coronavirus is posing a real threat, let me know where you need me to stand and what you need me to do to make sure we can protect as many lives as possible, not just for Americans, but for everybody. For the time being, our focus is on protecting Americans. So I'm glad to see that people are coming together over this. And it's going to be our responsibility as a community. There are a lot of people who don't view us that way. There are a lot of people who hate this country and a lot of people who view themselves more as individuals than anything else. You're allowed to. You're allowed to hate the country and you're allowed to go off on your own and do your own thing. I won't stop you. I, on the other hand, am looking to a concerted effort, looking at a concerted effort to do the right thing, to save lives and protect this country and everything it stands for. And I completely agree with that. So I'll do what I have to do. And if that means not going out to the movies, hey, man, just let me know. If it means they're going to start changing things in the economy under the Defense Production Act, if it saves lives, I'm willing to make certain I'm, I'm willing to make the sacrifices I have to. There's a certain point at which there's a breakdown in an every man for himself mentality. I've certainly got my van you've heard me talk about. I'll head off and go take care of myself in, in a certain circumstance. But for now, we need to come together. And that's why I really like this story. Trump and Cuomo now buddy buddy in coronavirus response after great talk. Awesome. Last night, Andrew Cuomo calling on Trump, asking for help. Trump saying he's doing a great job. This is awesome, man. It really, really is. In, 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 in such a dark time to see people come together in agreement and to end the bickering to me is, it's, it's awesome. It, it actually gives me hope. I'm not going to lie to you. There are still the same actors, the same people whose whole mission it is to smear and berate and accuse. We are seeing certain nonprofits who I'll leave unnamed target the president target right-wing media, the Washington Post putting out the supercut, slamming and smearing Fox News. 
I get it. I'm not perfect either. I've absolutely, you know, I'll throw shade where I think uh, shade needs to be thrown. But at least on this story, I'm glad to see it. To make you understand the importance of the Defense, uh, uh, the Defense Protection Act, I want to show you two things. The MTA in New York, because of the drop in riders, is requesting a $4 billion bailout. They're on the verge of collapsing. They were already facing dire straits. And now because people aren't using it, they can't maintain themselves. They need help. Or how about Boeing? Boeing sees plane, uh, their, their shares tank, uh, uh, their shares tank, and now they're seeking $60 billion in aid. Boeing said that the $60 billion in aid would support its 17,000 suppliers and help protect 2.5 million jobs amid the industry's near shutdown from the global pandemic. We are facing an unprecedented crisis, a collapse in the market, industry collapse, fear, people aren't going outside, the restaurant industry, retail shops are being forced to close. It's scary. I don't like the idea of the government having the power to intervene in the, in the market the way they will now. But what is the alternative? If, if people do nothing and we see this rapid expanse of this severe pneumonia, I want you to remember something. To those people who still insist this is no different from the flu, Google the videos of people collapsing in the streets. We've seen it here in the US. We've seen it in Iran, in China. We've seen it all over because it's stopping people's ability to breathe. We are seeing a hospitalization rate in New York over 20%. We do not have the resources for this, and it's time to act. Bravo to the president. Bravo to the pundits. They have my respect, and I want to see us make it through this one in, uh, in one piece. Once we're done, once we get past this, and we will, we can go back to pointing the finger and accusing each other of being far right, far left, whatever. And, and a little bit in between. I, admittedly, we'll still do that a little bit, right? We're still facing an election, so I get it. But at least on this front, I'm glad to see Bernie, Biden, Trump in agreement. And I hope they I hope this is the right thing and I hope it works. Stick around. Next segment will be coming up at youtube.com slash timcastnews at 6 p.m. And I will see you all then. Many of you may not have noticed amidst all of the, the chaos and the pandemic and the National Guard deploy, deployment and the Navy potentially sending out hospital ships that there was actually a Democratic primary election last night, a couple different states. Now, Ohio shut theirs down, but many other states carried on and voter turnout, at least early reports, was psychotically low. One person tweeting that in a low voter turnout mayoral election in Chicago, they could expect 30 to 40,000 votes in the first hour, and they only got 10,000 for the Democratic primary race. Regardless of the voter turnout, no one seemed to be covering this like for the most part, typically when there's a Democratic primary election, they track it on the news. They talk about it. They speculate. But the other day, it's kind of funny. All I really saw was coronavirus all day. I was turning on the news and I'm like, where's the results? Normally they'll have a, a timer and it says, you know, polls close at this time and we're, and we're speculating who's going to win. Nope. Coronavirus. Well, as many of you could have probably guessed, Joe Biden absolutely crushed Bernie Sanders. And Bernie is apparently saying he's going to assess his campaign. Dare I say, by the time you watch this video, he may have already dropped out of the race and Joe Biden will be the nominee. But we'll see because maybe Bernie won't give up. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard's still in the race. But Donald Trump also just secured his position as the presumptive Republican nominee by crossing that threshold he needed to reach. We'll go through those numbers. But first, Biden shuts down Bernie Sanders once again, in primary night marred by coronavirus. Now, what I find particularly significant about this story is 
Look, regardless of the pandemic stuff, I would have been talking about Bernie and Biden's race anyway. But we are now seeing the Democrats potentially they're, they're, they're saying there could be a bunch of lawsuits all across Twitter. The progressives were saying, no, we refuse to accept this. They should have been postponed. How can you tell people to stay home, distance themselves socially, but then expect them to go out and vote? Well, apparently some people did. And the craziest thing about what happened yesterday, poll workers weren't even showing up. I think they're going to be lawsuits. I think the lawsuits will win. If Bernie Sanders drops out now, I think that would be, well, it would probably be a mistake. But look, no one really expected him to win at this point anyway, which is surprising because I thought, he, you know, there was a period where Biden was down and out and I was ragging on him saying, ha ha, Biden could never win. Who thought he could? I'm so smart. Look at me. I'm Tim Pool. Biden was never the front runner. Boy, was I wrong about that one. Somehow Biden rebounded when the moderates dropped out. So let's 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 first take a look at the, the general story about what happened. But then I want to show you how the see the progressives were actually fundraising off of the virus. They were rallying behind it. And a lot of people thought it was going to be a huge benefit to Bernie Sanders because older voters wouldn't show up. Surprise, surprise, Bernie still lost. So the young people don't show up anyway. Don't count on them. But now, now, that they, now that they've lost, they're complaining, saying, oh, no, no, oh, harumph, I say. I must sue you because Bernie is supposed to win, I guess. The Daily Caller reports. Vice President Joe Biden once again took a majority of delegates in three states that held their presidential primary elections Tuesday night. Ohio was originally scheduled to hold its primary Tuesday, but Republican Governor Mike DeWine decided to postpone the vote due to coronavirus. Illinois, Florida, and Arizona each went through with their elections. Biden took roughly 60% of the vote in both Florida and Illinois, and also secured a win in Arizona. Florida also sported a boost in voter turnout despite the coronavirus pandemic. You see, now they're complaining, saying it's unfair, the coronavirus. Maybe they would claim that the, the, the voter turnout would be higher. I'm not buying it. I do want to mention, though, I find it kind of suspect. I'm just saying it. How is it that you can have all of these reports of there was one where like a fire alarm went off. Florida poll workers weren't showing up. That was reported by the Associated Press. Yet they still had increased voter turnout. We've already seen the numbers flickering in this in this primary season. And now you want to tell me that voter turnout was up in Florida, a, a state with a with a lot of you know older people and retirees who went out to vote when they were told they were high at risk. I don't know, man. I find the whole thing weird, but hey, Occam's razor suggests, I guess people really don't like socialism. Florida was the biggest prize of the night, accounting for 219 pledged delegates. Illinois counts for 155 and Arizona has 67. The night further solidifies Biden's already commanding lead in the primary. Ohio is one of four states to delay its primary during the coronavirus pandemic. Maryland, Kentucky, and Louisiana all followed suit. Several cities and states across the country have taken drastic measures to force social distancing from banning sit-down restaurants to encouraging residents not to gather in groups greater than 10. The primaries came as President Donald Trump is bending his administration to insulate the, the economy against the virus. The stock market lost all of its gains since Trump took office over the past three months, and the administration has requested a $1 trillion stimulus bill to get the economy back on track. Secretary, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin led the move as Peter Navarro led efforts to draft a buy American executive order that would allow companies to file certain expenses as tax write-offs if they rejoin the American supply chain. Check this out. Joe Biden. Okay, so they just basically show Biden won. Biden won everything. But boy, did Bernie Sanders get obliterated in Florida. Dude, 
Bernie ended up with like 20 some odd, like 22% of the vote in Florida. Biden got like 60%. You want to know why? As we predicted, when Bernie came out and praised Fidel, uh, Fidel Castro and, and Cuba, Cuba's literacy programs, everyone in Florida with family or with personal experience were like, nope. Everyone with experience from Venezuela, nope. And Florida is a hub for many of the people who have fled these countries. So Bernie Sanders is now set to assess his campaign after Tuesday's losses. I wonder if he's going to be dropping out. I, I, I can't say that, you know, he will. It's not the first time he's said he was going to get, you know, he waited until a day, the next day and then gave a statement where he said he refuses to, to, to back down. But at this point, I just do not see a path for Bernie Sanders unless it's involving lawsuits and a contested convention. But see, Bernie already dug himself into a, into a, a hard position. And I have to wonder, this, 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 it's such a perfect storm. Bernie took the lead, right? Remember, remember in the polls and the delegate count, Bernie was the front runner. He was doing the best. Biden was out. And then Bernie goes up on stage and says, I think he was the only one who said this. I think whoever has the most delegates should be the nominee no matter what. And every other politician up there said, no, we should follow the rules of the Democratic convention. It was so, so darn convenient for knocking out Bernie, because what ends up happening is everyone starts saying, see, Bernie is the only one being fair, that if you win the popular count, you should be the nominee. And then all of a sudden, Biden took over. And now Bernie is forced to abide by what he just said. If you've got the delegates, then it should be you. And he was the only one who said it. If Bernie said, no, you know, if there's a contested convention, then I think we'll play by the rules. But he didn't want to say that. Why? He thought he was going to win. He said, I'm in front. I want to win. If I get the delegates, it's me. And then Biden won South Carolina and then took the lead. And now what's Bernie going to do? Backpedal? The Hill reports Democratic presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders campaign manager on Wednesday said that Sanders would take time in the, in the coming weeks to assess his campaign after a slew of primary wins for former uh, for former Vice President Joe Biden. The next primary contest is in three is three weeks away, Sanders campaign manager Fayez Shakir said in a statement. Senator Sanders is going to be having conversations with his supporters to assess his campaign. In the immediate term, however, he is focused on the government response to the coronavirus outbreak and ensuring that we take care of working people and the most vulnerable. The statement comes hours after Biden won sweeping victories. Yeah, we know that. The wins ensure that Biden will have nearly insurmount uh, will will have a nearly insurmountable lead in delegates by the time all of the votes are counted from the latest election. So let me let me go over the vote, the results first. And the first thing I want to show you, for those of you that are fans of Mr. Trump, he has secured his position as the presumptive nominee. Now, I don't think the conventions are actually going to happen. So I think they're just going to say, yeah, 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 we get it. Trump, you're the nominee, right? Normally what happens is once somebody wins the primary, you have the Democratic National Convention, the Republican National Convention. They're big parties. It's actually a lot of fun if you're a politico. And then they all get up and say, you know, our nominee is so-and-so. So Donald Trump has won. Bill Weld got one delegate. Congratulations, Bill. But you needed 1,276 delegates to win the nomination. Trump now has 1,330. Over on the Democratic side, you need 1,991. Bernie has not even cracked 1,000. With 861, we can see Joe Biden at 1,153. At this point, I personally just don't see a path for Bernie moving forward. But hey, let me show you, let me show you what's going on now. Let's talk a little bit about the election and the coronavirus pandemic. It really does feel like the economy, our way of life is going to change dramatically and there's nothing we can do about it. There's a national crisis. I'm hoping we can see people rally together 
you know, under the American flag, kind of coming together, figuring out how we solve this problem, realizing we've given too much away to China in the past. And, the, and it's now time because even Bernie said it, that these globalization policies have failed us. And I got much respect for him for a statement on that. China has our manufacturing. This is what we need to be talking about. Now, of course, election experts expect Corona outbreak to drive lawsuits in Dem primaries. If there are some really close races, then that might keep lawyers and judges busy for some time. I don't, I don't think there's going to be a lawsuit in Florida. I mean, you've got an older population and he got absolutely crushed. But let me show you this tweet and then, and then we'll, we'll come back to the story. Bill Ackman said, Mr. President, the only answer is to shut down the country for the next 30 days, close the borders, tell all Americans that you are putting us on an extended spring break at home with family, keep only essential services open. The government pays wages until we reopen. No one defaults. No one forecloses a 30 day rent, interest and tax holiday for all. The shutdown is inevitable as it is already happening, but not in a controlled fashion, which is extending the economic pain and amplifying the spread of the virus with exponential compounding. Every day we postpone the shutdown costs thousands and soon hundreds of thousands and then millions of lives and destroys the economy. Please send everyone home now with your leadership. We can end this now. The rest of the world will follow your lead. A global spring break will save us all. I don't know. Uh, so apparently, I don't, I'm, I'm not super familiar with who this guy is. So I saw a tweet from someone. They said he was a, a billionaire or something. So, I, so here's what I can say about this. I, I, I actually, I would entertain that, that idea. You've got someone right now telling the president that he's got to close the borders and shut everything down for 30 days. I mean, Trump has wanted secure borders. Plus, we've got this growing pandemic. And I wonder if lighthearted measures, you know, slow measures are only going to make things substantially worse because we're constantly playing catch up. Right now we're at what, 6,000 plus infections in the United States, over 200,000 around the world. And there's an extremely high complication uh, and hospitalization rate. To the, to the people who are saying it's like the flu, I want you to go and look up the videos of people collapsing in the streets. And now we really understand why that's been happening because people can't breathe. They're not getting oxygen and they're going out with shortness of breath. And then without oxygen, guess what? They faint, they pass out. So it is serious. I'm not saying this guy is right or wrong, but what I am, what, what, what I do think we need to, we need to recognize is that if our elections are being disrupted by this and they are, and that's going to drive major lawsuits, Bill Ackman is, is right. We're seeing this slow roll of changes. The refusal to postpone the Democratic primaries is resulting in more drawn out problems. So I don't know what the answer is. But if we don't postpone, if we don't stop for now and say, you know, we just got to get a hold on the coronavirus so we can figure things out, then we're going to have more lawsuits. This is going to extend well into next year. We're going to see massive economic damage. I don't know if the government can pay everyone's wages or how that works. And I got to say, too, if everybody who is like put out of work by this ends up getting paid by the government, I still got to go to work. Hey, that's not fair. I'm kidding, by the way. No, I, I like what I do. But there are a lot of people who have straight up lost their jobs. There are some things that will never come back. The gig economy, for instance, I know people who have, you know, scheduled contracts for, you know, photo shoots for video production. When their clients say we're canceling the shoot, you don't just come back to your job. That that deal was done. There's no job to, to come back to. It's a one off. Right. But for the people who work in the service industry who are being laid off, that shouldn't that shouldn't happen. I mean, obviously, once we're through this, you're going to need to bring people back. Right. So it's an interesting idea. What if what if Donald Trump did say 
we're going to shut down the borders until we can until we can get a hold on, you know, coronavirus and figure out what's really going on. What if we jumped ahead of all of this instead of and said instead of waiting to see how bad it gets and reacting to it, we got extremely proactive. Now, to an extent, we're already doing that. We've got New York saying, you know, shelter in place, the National Guard deployments and, you know, potentially a massive economic stimulus. But I think there's a real risk if people just keep saying, well, you know, we'll react to it as it comes. It's going to beat us. So it's, it's always going to be one step ahead of us. There's a compromise here. Of course, you're going to see a lot of people like, you know, in the Bernie, Bernie Sanders camp claiming that this is proof of, you know, why we need socialism, why we need universal basic income. These are all disingenuous, completely bad faith arguments. An emergency 30-day stipend or stimulus is not universal basic income. A tax credit is not universal basic income. And people are now, I see some people tweeting, it's funny how capitalism always runs to socialism for a bailout. It's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe that's a really good point. Maybe when there are emergencies which require executive authority and immediate action, we do need a government to step in very quickly, temporarily. It's the problem when you try to institute these things permanently. Of course, now we're in a crisis situation. Of course, now we can see the government stepping up because we need executive action. This is why we have the government we do. Think about it for two seconds. If, if you had a government that was just a council and then you face a serious threat, they'd bicker all day and never get anything done. If you have a government that was just a, you know, a council of elders, for instance, they probably wouldn't have the distributed understanding of what's happening around the country to make the, the appropriate decisions. And I'm talking about like these countries with like just a party. What we have takes the benefits of several different types of governments. The executive branch exists specifically or, or for the most part, in my opinion, or I should just say strongly for this. The executive branch has a president who can make quick and decisive decisions to help us through a crisis that is not the same as single party rule, socialist dictatorship, whatever you want to call it, democratic socialism. This is the president saying, here's what we need. Congress, get it done. And then Congress saying, "Okay, we're going to get it done and working together. We have that executive authority. So for now, maybe we do need to implement something a bit more drastic than we're doing. I honestly don't know. I'm I'm absolutely opposed to on principle quarantines, curfews and all these other things. And it's a challenge for us because we are a freedom loving people. And that is a vulnerability in an individual level. We love and respect freedom and we must protect that. At a national scale, we also need to make sure that when there is a crisis, we come together and do what we have to do to make sure our community can survive. If you have too many people who say every man for themselves, then you're in serious trouble. Because when it comes to a, a major crisis, they say, I don't care what you need. I'm going to do what I need. And that's a problem. Because if they're saying right now, look, we, we, we're not going to force anyone to stay home. We just need you to chill out for a little bit. And then people get all angry and go out and party anyway. Well, then they're going to have two options, harsh, harsh, you know, lockdown instituted by, you know, uh, enforced by law, or we just let the virus spread and it wreaks havoc, havoc on the economy. If you have too many people that are just follow the lead of the of the party and government, you end up with, with an authoritarian and permanent regime. And we don't want that either. We need a healthy mix of people who say, I'm going to do what needs to be done right now. You've called on me not to go after 8 p.m. I hear you. OK, you got it. But keep in mind, the moment this emergency is lifted or within a reasonable, reasonable amount of time, I demand the, the, the expiration of any and all emergency powers granted to the government. 
There is a threshold of us recognizing we're in this together. And I absolutely respect that when the governor of New, governor of New, Jersey, New Jersey said, I'm recommending, strongly discouraging, you know, uh, non-essential travel, but we need to do this together. I respected that 100%. Now I got to admit, it's a little freaky when they say they don't want you going out after 8 p.m. Some people are making it sound like it's mandatory. But you know what? I have to take responsibility, and so does everyone else, that we are in this country together. Now, what's worrying to me is that there are too many people who see this as an opportunity to gain power. So naturally, election experts expect corona, corona outbreak to drive lawsuits. Yet we see this story from March 12th. Justice Democrats fundraises off Wuhan virus, says school closures constitute voter suppression. They were already gearing up to use this crisis for their advantage. And now that they lost, predictably, now, there's, now, now, they're, now they're saying there's a potential there's going to be some lawsuits. And I believe it. 100% I believe it. So I don't trust these people that would try to seize power. And that's the scary thing about what Bill Ackman said. While I can entertain the possibility of some more drastic measures, like the government insuring people's salaries, saying, you know, you know what? If you had a way of life and it was disrupted because of the coronavirus, we are going to comp- you know, we're going to now have a government fund. Granted, it's taxpayers. It's, it's, it's not like the money just comes out of nowhere. It's going to re- result in inflation. There's a lot of problems with this. But the, result, but the alternative could be worse, a complete economic collapse that we never recover from. I don't know what the right answer is, but I will say I will entertain the possibility of a major government action like, you know what, everyone, we're going to pay you a bunch of money. You know, we're going to pay you your salaries or insure your wages for the next 30 days and we're shutting down. However, what scares me is when you give them the power, they never want to give it up. So what do you choose? Take the risk because, you know, take, take, take the risk on the coronavirus because the risk is greater with the tyrannical government or take the risk with the government because the coronavirus could be worse. I got to say, man, I think the coronavirus will come and go. And in the end, I think we have to step away from more harsh government regulations and accept we need to do what we can as a community to protect those who are most vulnerable. And we have to be vigilant and make sure the government doesn't try and gain over uh, sweeping, overbearing authoritarian controls, which they will never give up. What scares me is if even if we see the coronavirus dissipate, right, you may still see people arguing, no, it's still there. Oh, yes. The only reason you're not seeing it now is because of the government, because of the things we've implemented, in which case it will never end. They'll just say, oh, no, no, no. Trust us. If you go to your house now, it'll come back. Now, I'm not okay with that. I'm willing to be reasonable. You have a certain amount of time, 60 days, 90 days. Some of these sound reasonable, but I don't trust the media. And I don't trust the government. So we have to make sure that, yes, we'll do what we can to make sure we get through this. But you got to keep your eyes open. They will try and seize power at a moment's notice. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. I will see you all then. In what may be one of the most drastic measures we have seen yet, Trump says the U.S. will close the border with Canada to non-essential traffic due to the coronavirus. And this comes just after around the same time we're hearing Trump administration is taking steps to close border to migrants. Now, this is the southern border, and he's been talking about this quite a bit. Americans, we're officially in this for the long haul. We're not going up. We're not going down and we're not flying out of this one. We're gonna have to bunker down. And what's scary is the timeline being provided. Ain't nobody saying this is going to be quick. We've got numerous sources citing various timelines. Cuomo of New York saying that it could be 45 days until the peak, which means it could be three months. Trump had previously said some people are talking about July or August. And now we have 
a story that the U at the plans could take us through an 18 month a shortage pandemic, etc. It's going to get it's going to get a lot of worse. I don't know. I, I'll tell you what, man, we'll read this story about the border closing because I think it's it's kind of I don't know, funny that Canada is having its border closed to the U.S. I'm not sure that's I don't know what the point is, I, I, I guess. But I'll tell you what, this is frustrating, annoying, boring, and there's literally nothing else going on in the world. You know, the worst thing about all the coronavirus stuff is it's a slow trickle. It's like watching paint dry. Kid you not. Normally on a news day, you'll have a big story come out and they'll say, like, here's something that happened. You'll be like, wow, that happened. Today with coronavirus, because literally every news source is glued to it, it's just like the moment a tiny crack appears, everyone screams as loud as they can. Admittedly, I think we're looking at some serious stuff. So I do think it's important to talk about. We got to stay focused. And at the, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to think that this is the, the economic impact is going to be so much worse. And I, I said this before, the panic could be worse than the disease. But the challenge is, do we do we do nothing, which results in many people who lose their lives? Or do we take the hit? It's the paradox. We're going to we're going to cost millions of dollars. You know, uh, we're going to cost millions of people their jobs. We're going to lose billions of dollars. Companies are asking for bailouts. Borders are being closed. And I, I think it's fair to say you take drastic actions to protect lives and do the right thing. This is why I would never want to be involved in politics. I couldn't imagine having to make decisions like this. Let's read the story about what's happening with the Canadian border being closed. CNBC reports President Donald Trump said Wednesday morning that morning that the United States will temporarily close its border with Canada to non-essential traffic due to the coronavirus pandemic. We will be, by mutual consent, temporarily closing our northern border with Canada to non-essential traffic. Trade will not be effective, affected. Details to follow. The announcement is just the latest in a flurry of dramatic action in recent days aimed at slowing the spread of the coronavirus. On Monday, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said he was closing his country's borders to foreigners with the exception of American citizens. Trudeau is set to have a press conference on Wednesday morning. On Tuesday, the European Union said it would close its external borders to non-citizens because of the coronavirus outbreak. The border between the United States and Canada is the world's longest border between two countries. On Tuesday, Canadian Deputy Prime Minister Christia Friedland discussed at a press conference the potentially massive effect of closing the border. Nearly 200,000 people cross that border every day. And that border and that traffic that goes across the border is literally a lifeline for both the Canadians and the Americans on both sides of that border. We get our groceries thanks to truckers who drive back and forth across the border. Very urgently needed medical supplies and medicines go back and forth across the border. And essential workers go back and forth across that border every day. We get it. Can you say border enough times? Jeez. So it's a unique relationship for Canada. And it's important for us in handling our situation on the border to be sure that we act to get things right, Friedland said, according to CBC. I'm going to go ahead and revoke your permit to use the word border. Seriously, calm down. We get it. Pronouns exist. So now, but we're also hearing uh, simultaneously this from the other day, the southern border is going to be impacted as well. Immigration offices are closing due to, well, nobody wants to get the virus and courts are closing because the virus has started to appear in the courtrooms. This is from the Los Angeles Times. They say U.S. immigration authorities would soon begin immediately removing migrants who enter the U.S. between official ports of entry and turning them back to Mexico, saying it will help stanch the expansion of the pandemic. The administration has yet to formally announce the proposal, first reported by the New York Times on Tuesday night but it is hammering out final details. 
Earlier Tuesday, administration officials began laying the groundwork for the shift. Under the new policy, border patrol agents who apprehend Mexican adults attempting to cross the border between ports of entry will return them to Mexico at a nearby port of entry instead of detaining them, according to Brandon Judd, president of the union that represents 15,000 agents, the National Border Patrol Council. I find it funny that in a crisis, many of these leftists have found the importance of borders and they've found the importance of guns because they're certainly stocking up on guns and ammo, buying out everything. Many conservatives and pro 2A people already had their supplies. But now I'm not seeing any, any complaints necessarily. Where's Ocasio-Cortez? Where's the far left to complain about how now asylum seekers are going to be turned away? Ah, and there it is. When their safety is threatened, they immediately back down. It's almost like seeing a dog behind a fence yell at you because it thinks it's safe. It can yell and screech all at once. And then as soon as you open the gate, it stops and it backs away like, oh, now I'm actually in danger. Yeah, once people are threatened, they turn to Trump and say, save us. We saw it with MSNBC and we saw it with CNN when they praised Donald Trump. Now we're seeing Trump take action on the borders. And this has been you know, something people have talked about for quite some time. And of course, the complaints are not there. Now, it's fair to say maybe their focus is diverted elsewhere. But we have this story from Vice. Shutting the U.S.-Canada border is a game changer. The U.S.-Canada border hasn't been shut since 9-11. And since then, we've been doing everything in our power not to close it. This is from Vice, of Vice Canada. They say, on Monday, Justin Trudeau announced that Canada was shutting its borders. The list of those allowed in, uh, in is short. Canadian citizens, permanent residents, and surprisingly, the 300 million plus U.S. citizens to our south. For many, the ban seemed toothless if Canada were going to allow Americans to travel north. So I'm assuming this story, which came out today, missed the, the, the letter that they were closing northern, the, the, the northern border, and even Americans are no longer going to be allowed in. But I'm interested in see what, to see what their perspective is. They say, on Tuesday night, CBC and CNN reported the two countries are working on an agreement that will essentially close the border to non-essential human traffic, but keep it open to some trade and make, some, make sure critical supply chains are left open. The deal is currently being finalized and is expected to come within the next, tw- within the next 24 to 48 hours. If it occurs, it would mark an unprecedented move to stop the spread of COVID-19. U.S. President Donald Trump confirmed the reports Wednesday morning by tweeting, we will be by mutual consent temporarily closing our northern border with Canada to non-essential traffic. Trade will not be affected. While shutting down the border is a massive deal, thankfully the decision was made bilaterally with trade still being allowed in. It could have been significantly worse, some former political operatives said after the initial border closure. If Canada were not to allow Americans in, there could be the potential for blowback from an erratic president who doesn't handle being rebuked on a global stage. Oh, please calm down. Can you put down the sword for 10 minutes amid a global pandemic and border closures? Vice quote on closing the U.S. border. Please remember, President Trump deemed Canada a national security threat and outrageously imposed S two three two tariffs on steel. Tweeted former Canadian industry minister James Moore to assume he wouldn't react to a blunt border crossing ban with an irrational response, could be a real threat to the fresh food supply. Okay, wait a minute. Canadians are now scared because they rely on the United States for so much that they're hoping there's a bilateral agreement. You know what, man? It's about time these countries started to realize you can't just outsource an entire sector of your economy to a foreign country and then get angry if they close your border. We're learning that the hard way, but we've had people in the United States talking about the problem of China for a very, very long time, notably the president. 
He's been calling out China and the loss of our manufacturing for quite some time. And many people have smeared or, or made fun of him for it. Now we're reaping the, the, the pain from what we have sown, that we, we have given away so much of our manufacturing base to China that we don't have the supplies we need. Well, guess what, Canada? You can't just get mad at us when we try to protect our people. China has now started to realize this. Beijing fears COVID-19 is a turning point for China and globalization. Even Bernie Sanders has been criticizing globalization. Seems like it's on the way out. While the world fights the coronavirus pandemic, China is fighting a propaganda war. Beijing's war aim is simple. Shift away from China, all bl- uh, shift away from China, all blame for the outbreak, the botched initial response, and its early spread into the broader world. At stake is China's global reputation, as well as the potential of a fundamental shift away from China for trade and manufacturing. Also at risk is the personal legacy of General Secretary Xi Jinping, who has staked his legitimacy on his technocratic competence. After dealing with the first great global crisis of the 21st century, the world must fundamentally rethink its dependence on China. So many countries thought they could just rely on them for so much. And China manipulated its, its, its currency, suppressed wages. That way they could convince businesses in other countries to send their labor to them and they could exploit it. Well, that era is finally coming to a close. I don't know what this will necessarily mean in the future, but I think it's important everyone is a bit more self-reliant. Do you know how much energy is wasted on ship, these gigantic shipping containers and, and, and vessels being transported from China to the US back and forth? It makes literally no sense to me. But because the labor was so cheap, China was able to take our, pro, our, our manufacturing away from us. And if at any point they wanted to declare war, we would, be, we would be facing serious national security threats. So it's a, it's, it's a good thing. They say, after months of staying holed up in the forbidden city, Mr. Xi finally ventured to Wuhan, the epicenter of the virus, to declare victory over the virus as all the makeshift hospitals have been closed. Yet no one knows if Beijing's claim that the new in, uh, indigenous cases are slowing down are true or not. Given the longstanding doubt about the veracity of any official Chinese statistics, and the party's failure to act in the early days of the coronavirus, not to mention they're expelling American journalists. They're arresting their own journalists and whistleblowers. Now they're kicking out ours. I can only say, I bet it's getting worse for them. And they need to downplay it because they realize the economic hit they were facing was really, really bad. And they need to convince everybody that they can still handle the manufacturing. As this virus gets worse, perhaps people are starting to realize they can't rely on China. No matter how cheap the labor is, it's not worth it. And that is bad, bad news for China. They say the communist government instead is claiming that it has largely controlled the epidemic, even as it suspiciously now blames foreign arrivals for new cases of virus. Leaked video from China shows huge lines at a hospital in in Chongqing, for example, raising questions about just what is happening around the country. I got to say, if the US is planning for 18 months, why should I believe China solved this problem in two or three? Sorry, I don't. Now, it's possible that timeline makes sense because Andrew Cuomo of New York said expect a peak in 45 days, but perhaps he was based on that information off of what we know about the virus. And unfortunately, much of what we know comes from China, which is probably lying because they're kicking out our journalists. Stands to reason, right? They say what Beijing cares about is clear from its sustained war on global public opinion. Chinese propaganda mouthpieces have launched a broad array of attacks against the facts, attempting to create a new narrative about China's historic victory over the Wuhan virus. 
Chinese state media is praising the government's effective, responsible governance. But the truth is that Beijing is culpable for the spread of the pathogen around China and the world. Chinese officials knew about the new virus back in December and did nothing to warn their citizens or impose measures to curb it early on. Instead of acting with necessary speed and transparency, the party state looked to its own reputation and legitimacy. It threatened whistleblowers like the late Dr. Li Wenliang and clamped down on social media to prevent both information about the virus and criticism of the Communist Party and government from spreading. So we get it. China has been ever expanding its propaganda campaign to save face. And if that's true, why should we believe any of the information they've put out? Here in the US, we are seeing harsher and harsher reactions to what's going on. Notably, the deployment at uh, 18 governors have now deployed 1,500 National Guardsmen. There is a Navy hospital vessel being deployed to the New York area. And New York is saying they will no longer allow. I I, want to make sure I get the details. I'm going to be very, very, very careful the details. But they're restricting who can work, how many people can work, and only essential jobs will be allowed. New York is effectively a ghost town. Now, there's a funny viral video where in New York, someone's walking around and people on balconies are yelling at them to go home. And they're like cussing about it. But I got to say, stop doing that. Like, if you see someone walking around, for all you know, they're an essential worker. Don't make the assumption that just because someone's walking around, they're just violating some kind of curfew or quarantine. The other thing, too, is, dude, you can go walk around. The issue is don't go around touching tons of other people and don't go into crowded spaces. I think it's absolutely absurd that people are taking the extreme end of everything here, saying either lock yourself in your bedroom or everything's fine. I No, I don't recommend going to restaurants. There's still takeout. The restaurants that are being shuttered are offering takeout food services. That means you need to go outside. So people are screaming, stay the F home and all that stuff. Y'all are, are, are getting a little extreme on this one, but I get it. So many people are ignoring guidance and just doing whatever they want. There's photos from South Beach in Miami of people partying and ignoring everything. Y'all are nuts. And, and, I, and I mean, they're literally like, you know, hanging out together and hugging and high-fiving and just all that, all that stuff. And it's like, you know, man, I don't think we need to be between, uh, we don't, I don't think we need to be one extreme or the other. But I'll tell you what, we are seeing the deployment of U.S. military sending hospital ships. Apparently, uh, I, I could be wrong about this, so definitely fact check me, I believe, because Cuomo just made the announcement, we are going to now see the, the deployment of these ho- uh, hospital ships to the New York area. These are good things. And, and if the National Guard can come out and help us, and we can start securing our borders, I'll tell you what, man, I don't see this as being bad for the president at all. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I, 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 do, I do think it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, when you look at tribalists. It's like everything that happens with Trump is either always a good thing or always a bad thing, or when something truly bad happens, they don't believe it. But I'll tell you what, we're looking at a wartime-esque president. I think there's a possibility that even if the, the economy collapses and it's the worst thing we've ever seen, people are going to vote for Trump for two reasons out of fear because they don't want things to change and want to make sure the system is preserved. But more importantly, because Trump is a strong man. When people start seeing what China is doing, when they start getting scared that their, their, their security is threatened, who are they going to pick? Mumbling, bumbling Joe or Donald Trump, who may have messed things up, but he's a guy who won't be pushed around. When it comes to a crisis, who do you want? A timid guy who can barely talk to argue on your behalf? or a big brutish man who's going to push someone down and take their stuff. 
when it comes to what people need, I assure you, they are going to choose themselves. And that's the point about the border closings. They screech all day and night. You can't do this. Decriminalize border crossings. Now Trump is saying no asylum claims. The courts are being shuttered. I think I think I have that one, right? Immigration judges across the U.S. are staying home after the coronavirus hits courtrooms. All of a sudden, the progressive open borders people have kind of shut up because it comes down to whether or not they get what they want. It's the interesting thing about these far leftists, these socialist types, that it's always about them asking for something that they personally need. Now, I can understand if, if you're having difficulty getting some access to some resources, but if you're not willing to work or you're incapable, that's just the way things are. That's life. You can't just be given something from someone else. But now that we're talking about base level protections, all of a sudden we can close the borders. Trump can even close the Canadian border. Mom's the word. Trump is enacting technically a bunch of, I mean, he's getting a bunch of what he wants. There's no more asylum seekers being processed, no more refugees, and the borders are going to be shut, hard shut, and no one's bothering about it. That's what I think is going to happen. After this all subsides, what do you think people on the, on, on the left who have been mindlessly bumbling along with, with these activists, what do you think they're going to say? They're going to say, I don't know, just, just, just do whatever you got to do, Trump. I'm scared. I don't want I, I to deal with this. What do you think is going to happen now when the ads pop up saying, we, we're struggling to control a pandemic. We can't allow anyone to come in this country. I think you're going to see people backing away from this far left open border stuff like they already are. It'll bring them back. And maybe that's what we need. You know, there's a, we're facing an unprecedented crisis and it's terrifying because people are losing their lives. But at least, at least it's building community. It's not perfect. People are already attacking, you know, Trump and they're trying to use partisan efforts to unseat him. Now is not the time. And at least in my opinion, I think this is, this is the moment where we need to come together and truly recognize what it means to be an American and have a community. The borders are closing. And that, 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 that's because all of these countries that are shutting their borders recognize it is up to them to, to uh, and the, uh, it's up to them to protect their people, the people they have a responsibility to, and not random people who are coming in. I'm hearing now that Germany is closing its refugee program. All of a sudden, social justice stops. The moment you are in a safety net, social, I'm sorry, the moment when your safety net breaks, no one cares for social justice anymore. It's so easy to complain about oppression when you're safe and you're bored. But when the threat comes to your doorstep, all of a sudden your tune changes. All right, this has just been of a wide ranging rant, I guess. I got, I'm, I'm just going to say it. I am so absolutely sick of all of this news. It is just, but it, you know, it is what it is. I mean, the coronavirus is here. I got another segment coming up for you at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast, and I will see you all there. Over on my main channel, I gave praise to MSNBC host Joe Scarborough for saying it's, the, it's time that we, we do everything we can to support the president. We need him to succeed. And I have tremendous respect for that. Dana Bash as well. I said, we want to reduce the partisan bickering, but there's still some territory where we got to call out people for saying crazy things. And we have this story from the Daily Caller. MSNBC analyst suggests using coronavirus to prosecute Trump for negligent homicide gets an assist from former Democratic candidate. No, come on, man. You guys are doing so well talking about the serious crisis we're facing. Now is not the time to go nuts with your scandal, insane conspiracy rhetoric. No one's going to prosecute the president for negligent homicide because people are getting sick. You all need to calm down a little bit and follow in the footsteps of Joe Scarborough, who I will absolutely give respect to for saying now is not the time. 
But let's read this story and see what's going on and what this guy had to say. MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirshner suggested Tuesday that he would attempt to prosecute President Donald Trump for negligent homicide over his handling of the coronavirus pandemic. Kirshner laid out his explanation in a series of tweets, first claiming that the president may have criminal exposure for some level of negligent homicide or voluntary involuntary manslaughter for the way he's mishandled the coronavirus. He went on to tout his own career as a prosecutor, saying that he had always been on the lookout for novel ways to apply homicide liability in an attempt to appropriately and ethically hold accountable those who are responsible for taking the life of a fellow human being. No, what we're seeing here is a guy who is just desperate to figure out a way to get retweets and clicks. So he's making up absurd nonsense that in no, in no version of reality would ever happen. It's like the guy, it, it wouldn't even happen in a movie. That would be an absurd movie plot line, let alone real life. Kirshner concluded, by accusing Trump of negligent, grossly negligent, and or possibly intentional mishandling of the response to coronavirus, and claiming the issue was thorny and nuanced, but that all possible criminal charges will have to be investigated. No, you're nuts. No one's going to do that. So here's what he said. Hey, all, can we talk about one of the few topics I may actually know too much about homicide? Specifically, whether Donald Trump may have criminal exposure for some level of negligent homicide or voluntary involuntary manslaughter for the way he's mishandled the coronavirus. What about, uh, well, I, I got to stop you right there, buddy. If the president's, I don't know, uh, ordered uh, an assassination via drone and it killed a 16-year-old American, would that constitute negligent homicide? Because uh, I got a president for you, if you're interested. His name is Barack Obama. And for those that aren't, for, for those that aren't familiar, Yes, he ordered a drone strike, which resulted in the death of an, of an American citizen named Abdul Rahman Al-Awlaki. It is a, a rel- it, it's, it's, it was a mistake, they said. I'll put it that way. That's what they said. Oops. Oopsie. We were looking for somebody else. Killed an American kid. What are you going to do about it? Did this guy come out and shriek that Obama must be stopped at all? No, of course. You know, they don't care. So here's what he says. I spent 22 of my 30 years as a federal prosecutor handling murder cases in D.C., I served as chief of the homicide section of the D.C.'s U.S. Attorney's Office overseeing murder prosecutions. I was always on the lookout for novel ways to apply homicide liability. So he's actually getting a ton of likes and retweets on these, mind you. Uh, so we, we, we read all that part. Here's what he says. I think it's fair to observe that there's nothing more devastating to a family than losing a loved one to either violent crime or to an illness that could have been pre- prevented or mitigated. I'm trying to assimilate all available evidence rapidly developing and being reported every day to fairly assess whether Trump and his administration may have acted and or failed to act in a way that could give rise to homicide liability. Oh, it is just so stupid. So dumb. And people eat this stuff up. Me and I, you leave me speechless. This is not an easy question. Further, whereas the evidence is clear that Trump has committed multiple criminal offenses, both before his tenure as president campaign finance crimes, and during his time as president, obstruction of justice, bribery, and extortion. Oh, my brain just exploded in my head. This is the kind of fringe conspiracy psychosis these people actually believe. I, I believe Trump extorted someone, yet no one could prove it and he couldn't be prosecuted for it. But he's obstructed justice, yet Mueller said he could not make a determination on obstruction of justice. He says, uh, he goes on to say, uh, and, and obstruction of justice, bribery, extortion, homicide liability by his negligent, grossly negligent and or possibly intentional mishandling of the coronavirus in the U.S. is a more nuanced and thorny issue and deserves careful consideration. But the homicide liability issue must be addressed. 
because all criminal charges will have to be investigated. And if the evidence dictates it, prosecuted come January 2021. Stay tuned, he says. Shortly after Kirshner posted the tweets, he got a response from Mark Judson, a Democratic candidate for North Carolina's 7th Congressional District until he lost the primary on Super Tuesday. Judson, a CPA, crunched the numbers for Kirshner. The The calculation looks basically like this. The number infected would also increase as a result of Trump, in addition to the fatality rate. But this is the best case template, in my honest opinion. Americans infected, 165 million. Expected fatality rate before Trump, 1.5. Actual fatality rate for what? What are these numbers? These are not even the numbers that were given by experts. Experts said 100 up to 150, so you're over the top. And the mortality rate could be could be between one and three, not 1.5 and four. Deaths directly attributable to Trump. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. He's actually got on the screen an image. Four million dead. We charge Trump and culp. And he put a star next to it. What does that even mean? And culpable members of administration for these deaths. These people are out of their minds. And why are they being put on TV? Come on, man. Now is not the time for this lunacy. I know you got beef with the president. That's fine. I th- I, I, you criticize everybody. It's fine. Now, here's what's really happening. The White House coronavirus plan aims to send $2,000 to many Americans. It includes $300 billion for small businesses. Talks remain fluid, but discussions with Congress are intensifying as virus fallout worsens. They're acting like Trump is literally responsible for an act of nature, an act of God. And I don't mean like the Lord literally striking people down. I'm saying this is, it's nature, man. Viruses happen. We can put some blame on China for, for hiding the information from everybody, probably still hiding information, kicking out our journalists. But we're going to have to deal with this. And it's no one's fault. And it's not Trump's fault. And I was thinking about why is it that so many people are so quick to assume Trump is awful? And I think it's because they operate under the assumption that there would be someone there doing a better job. And I don't. When I look at the president, I have nothing to compare it to. I'm a rather science oriented individual in a sense. Give me the comparison to prove it and I'll consider what you're saying. But we don't have a controlled president. We just have Trump and we have people saying he's doing an awful job. Yeah, well, you know, in certain some regards, I think it's, it, you criticize him. But what am I supposed to compare him to? A bunch of other presidents who have done similar things? You're not really giving me anything to work off of here. So no, when you say orange man bad, I'm like, compared to what? The dude who literally sent a drone to blow up a 16-year-old kid and no one cared? Sorry, not buying it. I can be critical of him for my own reasons. But in reality, Trump is working hard, along with his administration, to do whatever they can. And if you don't like it, come November, you vote. You don't screech on the internet about how you're going to prosecute the president. That's never going to happen, man. Go back to your video game fictional reality where, where, where no one else is hanging out. What Trump is actually doing is working on a stimulus package. And it's going to get a, so a, a two checks for a hundred that for, for I'm sorry, for a thousand dollars. I almost had a hundred, almost at a thousand and devote 300 billion towards helping small businesses. Now, I want to point out, I do not like the idea of giving loans to small businesses. They should be grants. If these businesses are in debt now because their, their supply is, is, is expired or, you know, it's gone bad. Maybe it's, like I'm, I'm talking about the bars and the restaurants. You give them a loan. That's, that's not, oh, that's awful, man. Like, you know, I, I don't know what the answers are. I know we can't just necessarily give money away because the money that they're being sent to everybody, the stimulus, it's basically we're, we're borrowing from ourselves in the future. This is going to result in inflation. This is how it works. But it can help stimulate the economy. That's why it's called a stimulus. 
Now, they have said no final decisions have been made and talks with Republican leaders remain fluid, but the growing scale of the $1 trillion rescue plan is coming into sharper focus. The Treasury Department is circulating a two-page sheet of priorities that it wants to see in the final deal. As part of it, the White House seeks to create $50 billion, uh, a $50 billion airline industry secured lending facility that would allow it to make direct loans to U.S. passengers and cargo air carriers. White House officials have scrambled in recent days to assemble a massive rescue plan. That, that's, the, that's the sentence I wanted to read to you. You've got these people who live in a fantasy world where Trump is like a supervillain who took over. He's Lex Luthor to these people. I don't live in that fantasy world. Sorry. It looks like the White House, their official, the officials, Trump, they're doing the best they can as fast as they can. And they're also acting like Trump's downplaying of the virus was an intentional thing for self-gain. I don't know that. And you didn't prove that to me. And, and maybe you can't. I don't know. You can assume whatever you want. But I also know that if Trump came out right away and said, this is a serious thing, we got to we got to act now, they'd accuse him of sparking a panic for no reason. They would then blame him for the market hits. For the time being, the White House is working on a stimulus package. It looks like we're about to get it. It could see a ton of people getting money and it's going to scale. People who make a certain amount will not get any money. Businesses will be eligible for loans. I think they need to do better on that one. But it looks like most people are going to get around $2,000. That's not enough either. Look, man, I don't know what you do. I don't know what the answers are. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the smartest person in the world. I do know that a thousand bucks ain't going to cover somebody's monthly expenses. So it might help. Maybe they're already on unemployment insurance. Maybe it'll stimulate the economy. I honestly don't know, but I'm not going to act like Trump should go to prison for not moving faster when he's already invoked the Defense Production Act. And now he's planning on giving people a, a, a bunch of money to stimulate the economy. Y'all need to calm down. It's about time we listen to Joe Scarborough of MSNBC, of all people, and do what we can to support the president to make sure he succeeds. Then in a few months, when we're all clear of the coronavirus stuff, we can go back to screeching at each other at the top of our lungs. Stick around. I got a couple more segments coming up for you in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. One of the points I've been making in the past couple of days is about how people who are inside a safety bubble, who are wealthy, screech all day and night about about how bad things are. But as soon as they get threatened, as soon as their safety is threatened, they immediately change their tune. All of a sudden now they're really concerned. I've got two stories for you. One, just kind of a highlight, because you all know guns are being bought up in droves. Weapons and other supplies are being bought up in droves. But we have this story from The Hill. Mexico under international criticism for coronavirus response. Wait a minute. What, what, what do you mean international criticism? I thought Trump was a bigot because he wanted to close the border down because he wanted to, to, to stem migration and illegal immigration. I remember when Trump and Trump supporters were talking about the potential for diseases to come up through the migrant caravans and through the southern border. At the time, they were called racist for it. But now that we're facing a global pandemic, the international community agrees. Mexico has unsanitary conditions. They're not doing the right thing. And well, they're criticizing Mexico. I find it funny. You know why? What I see here is in line with the statistics about progressives and conservatives. The Hidden Tribes report that I love to cite shows that progressive activists in this country tend to be college educated individuals, white, who make over $100,000 a year. It's no surprise that these people are advocating for these policies that they will not be affected by saying, why don't you middle class, poor American whose town is dying because your manufacturing plant shut down? Why don't you allow illegal immigrants to come and work alongside you, displace your jobs and get access to your health care? They don't seem to understand. Now that the threat is staring them in the face, all of a sudden the tune is changing. See, at the time they said, well, I have health care. 
I can get whatever I want. I have nothing to worry about, which is why you see so many celebrities on the left. They're super rich and in the bubble and safe. But now that the pandemic is here and many of these celebrities are getting it, all of a sudden now international response is, whoa, 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 Mexico. And in California, I kid you not, people are lining up around the blocks to buy guns in, in, in like Los Angeles County of all places. Now, I get it. There are areas of California where you got some conservatives and people who like hunting and, and two-way defenders, all that stuff, right? I get it. But LA County? Yeah, that's Los Angeles, man. These are the, these are the places that vote overwhelmingly for gun control. All of a sudden now they're like, well... Now that I'm in trouble, yeah, 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 we get it. You didn't care about the weakest up until the, the, the threat was pointed in your direction. The Hill reports, international observers and opposition leaders are warning that Mexico's government is failing to take the coronavirus crisis seriously, risking a major eruption just as the rest of the world takes drastic steps to recover. The country's hands-off approach has already sparked tensions with El Salvador, whose president blocked a flight Monday from Mexico City to, to San Salvador citing subpar sanitary safeguards in Mexico. Hey, hey, El Salvador. Now you're starting to sound like Trump. Come on, that's bigotry, isn't it? In a discussion played out over Twitter, Salvadoran President Nayib Bukele and Mexican Foreign Secretary Marcelo Ebrard debated the Mexican government's capacity to immediately diagnose several of the plane's passengers. The discussion ended with Bukele begging Mexico to take drastic and overwhelming measures amid this pandemic. Mexico is a very big country, and so should be its responsibility. Otherwise, in 20 days, the epicenter of this pandemic will not be Europe, but North America, added Bukele. Stop looking at this as something normal, please. Oh, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Mexico is not doing anything, or they're not doing enough. So sure enough, they will see a massive spike in coronavirus cases. Then Donald Trump will say, we just got to get a hold on what's happening with this pandemic, and we can figure things out. We're going to shut the border down. And guess what the people in America are going to say? You got it, buddy, because the threat's facing them. So long. Look, Canada and the United States are taking uh, uh, preventative measures, rather serious ones. Not so much Mexico. They say the Mexican federal government has refused to impose national sanitary measures, instead relying on, on a public service announcement campaign to promote social distancing and hand washing. washing. Mexican President Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador has drawn the ire of many observers by continuing his campaign style rallies where he often walks into the audience to hug and kiss his supporters. Hey, man, he's a, he's a man of the people. One image where Lopez Obrador appears to playfully bite a young girl's cheek has been especially poorly received. Obrador is under fire for his blasé attitude about the coronavirus. He is leaving border states and towns picking up the slack. Many won't be able to do so, wrote Adam Isaacson the director of defense oversight for the Washington office on Latin America in an email to the Hill. While a handful of Mexican states have imposed stricter measures like immediate school closures at the federal level, children will still be required to attend school until Monday when an early spring spring break will begin. Some Mexican states are in a better position to fend for themselves, but in others, including Tamaulipas, is that how you pronounce it? On the border with Texas, the situation is less clear, less clear to Molipus. Isaacson, a Latin American security specialist, wrote that he doesn't even have a good sense of what local authorities are doing and whether the security situation will hamper response. Tamaulipas, a state that includes the border cities of Matamoros across from Brownsville, Nueva Laredo across from Laredo, and Reynosa across from McAllen, 
has been among the states hardest hit by the narco violence and long waits for prospective U.S. asylum seekers in camps. And I'll stop there and say asylum camps are shut down. Immigration is not being processed right now. So you, you, you exas- that's going to be exacerbated, all these, all these problems with much more denser populations in these areas. These people are not going to get in. So they're going to be where they are. More people, more virus, more unsanitary conditions, I suppose. I do want to briefly just show this, just, you know, most of you have already seen the story. You may be stocking up on toilet paper. Others are out buying guns. You can't shoot a virus, but that's not what people who are lining up for guns and ammo are worried about. What they're worried about is people who are being denied entry, who are becoming desperate, who might rush the border, who might threaten them and their family amid a complete and total breakdown. Mexico is not taking the same precautions as, as everyone else. And so we may have to close the southern border. Surprisingly, we closed the northern border with Canada, which I find strange considering Mexico is not doing enough and everyone's freaking out about it. You'd think Trump would come out and say so, but there's been talks. So immigration is being processed anyway. We'll see what happens. But if this gets bad, don't be surprised when those people who hate Trump come out and start agreeing with him. Here's what they say. And then there's a situation in the migrant shelters and camps where the tens of thousands of victims of, uh, of metering and remain in Mexico are, are wrote Isaacson, referring to the Trump administration's asylum policies that have fueled the growth of refugee camps along the Mexican side of the international border. It will be an absolute miracle if the virus doesn't sweep through those shelters and camps like a genuine plague. And I don't see preparations for that underway. When chickenpox swept through the Mexican government shelter in Juarez over the holidays, they just closed it for a few days. I don't see what good that will do. Even as critics accuse the government of underplaying the situation, the official count of infections rose drastically from 53 Sunday to 82 Monday, hitting a rising wave of contagion. Mexico City Mayor Claudia Scheinbaum, a close ally of Lopez Obrador, has refused to shut down large large gatherings. What are you doing, man? Now do these, are people going to start waking up to why Donald Trump has concerns about hygiene and, and medicine and infection? from countries like Mexico. And he's not even, for the most part, talking about Mexico he, sometimes, but also Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador. But even El Salvador is criticizing Mexico. Come on, man. Even as critics accuse the government of underplaying... Oh, I read that. Let's move on. Over the weekend, a massive music festival known as the Vive Latino took place in the Mexican capital, and Scheinbaum refused to say whether she'll shut down a reenactment of the Passion of the Christ that's been held for the last 177 years in the Eastern Borough of Iztapalapa, according to El Geraldo newspaper. But the Mexican federal government has cut down activities in its 50 consulates across the United States to a bare minimum under orders from Mexican ambassador Martha Barcena. According to a Mexican embassy spokesman, the world's largest single country consular network has most of its employees working from home and is only providing emergency services as needed. And Mexican sanitary authorities have been meeting to discuss the crisis with U.S. and Canadian counterparts. According to the spokesman, a teleconference between U.S. Health and Human Service, Services Secretary Alex Azar, Mexican Health Secretary Dr. George Carlos Al- Alcocer Varela, and Canadian Minister of Health Patty Hajdu was scheduled for Tuesday, but it will, ins- it will be held instead on Thursday. We are going to have a lot of people seeking treatment in this country. We can't simultaneously offer up open borders and free health care, as most of you know. And it's going to be this is going to be highlighted as we now watch Mexico begin its collapse into a mighty sea of coronavirus, as China actually put it. Look, man, 
There was something, I don't know if you guys saw the Smurf reunion thing. Do you see this? Or no, no, it was a Smurf gathering in France. A bunch of people did like a world record for the most people dressed as Smurfs in a single location. And then sure enough, there was a massive spike in coronavirus infections following this. Now, I don't know if that means following the Smurf, all the Smurf people got sick, but I'm just going to go ahead and say, if there is a novel virus that no one has immunity to and everyone's going to catch and get sick, the last thing you want to do is come out in giant crowds. But apparently over in Mexico, they don't care all that much. So I'll tell you what's going to happen. Trump's going to say, you know what? We're closing the southern border now too, except for trade. And who is going to be able to complain, especially after this? They know they don't care. Why should we take, why should we be negatively impacted? We shouldn't. It's like what I said about healthcare. Why should I sacrifice along with my community to protect everybody? But then you're going to offer up our medical system, which is under strain to non-citizens, to people who, who may be coming from a country like Mexico that's refusing to engage in sanitary practices uh, or more extreme sanitary uh, practices amid the coronavirus. Sorry, man. I'm not playing that game. I'll leave it there. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. I saved this segment for the last segment of the day because I think it's very important people see just how serious the coronavirus pandemic is. And, the, and I got to say, people need to stop downplaying this. In New York, we are potentially facing a shelter in place order, meaning you don't go outside. And there are some areas where you actually can't go outside. And in some countries, people are getting arrested for going outside. Now, that to me is scary. That's freaky. Not a big fan of the authoritarianism. But it is also scary that people just don't care about what's happening. Take a look at this story. Italy reports 475 deaths in one day. I don't think people understand what it means that our hospital system is being strained. And because we're doing a decent job, a a decent job of saving lives, they assume that it's not that big a deal. Here's a couple things you need to consider before we get into the news about what's happening here in the United States. When you see the death rate number being low, don't forget people are going to hospitals and having their lives saved by expensive medical procedures and technology. If it weren't for our hospitals, the death rate would be substantially higher. When you compare this number to the numbers in the past, you need to realize this is way more serious than any of these past epidemics. Take a look at Spanish flu, 2.5% mortality rate. And we had the medical technology of 1918. Compare that to today, a hundred years later, we've got amazing developments in technology and the mortality rate is floating between one and 3%, 3.7 globally, 7% in Italy. Don't tell me that the medical technology and capacity in, in Italy right now is worse than it was in 19 around the time of the great war. No, what we're really seeing is that people do not understand that amidst all of our developments, we are doing our best to put the fire out. It would be like if there was a building burning and firefighters were spraying it with water and the fire was being held back. And someone said, it's not even a big deal. The fire's small. Who cares? Why should we bother spraying it with water? While they're telling you, if you don't, it will grow out of control. We are seeing numbers that are scary, even though we are trying our best to shut things down. So this is Italy in one day, 475 deaths. But let's take a look at what's going on in New York. New Yorkers should be prepared for a shelter in place order, Mayor Bill de Blasio says. New Yorkers, uh, so uh, yeah, here's the quote. In the next, they're saying a decision will be made in the next 48 hours. We are deeply concerned. This is quite clear. This is a fast growing crisis. He said at a press conference, all New Yorkers, even though a decision has not been made by the city or the state, I think that all New Yorkers 
should be prepared right now for the possibility of a shelter in place order. There are now 814 confirmed cases in New York, he said, adding that 248 are in Queens. We, we know the numbers. And actually, this story is uh, from the other day. The numbers got up, gone up quite a bit since then. De Blasio said he doesn't take the decision lightly, acknowledging that New Yorkers will face tremendously substantial challenges under a shelter in place order. Folks have to understand that right now, with so many New Yorkers losing employment, losing paychecks, dealing with all sorts of stresses and strains, I'm hearing constantly from people who are tremendously worried about how they're going to make ends meet. In that scenario, a shelter in place begs a lot of questions. What is going to happen with folks who have no money? They say, what is a shelter in place? San Francisco Bay Area officials ordered some 7 million residents to shelter in place on Monday, prohibiting people from leaving their homes except under limited circumstances. People who venture out are expected to remain six feet apart, wash their hands, cover their coughs or sneezes, and abide by a number of other restrictions. Non-essential businesses across the state, including wineries and bars, will be closed. But essential services such as grocery stores, banks, and pharmacies will remain open. Residents are allowed to walk their dogs or go for a run so long as they maintain a distance of at least six feet from anyone they don't currently live with. San Francisco health officer Dr. Grant Colfax said at a press conference Monday, de Blasio didn't provide details on what a shelter in place order would look like in New York City. The city is working on a variety of ways to ease the burden on New Yorkers, including suspending alternate side parking rules that require residents to move their cars for street cleaning and providing food for students while city schools are closed, he said. I don't live in a big city. I'm in the suburbs. I have a backyard. I have a house. I have a front yard. And we're not in a particularly dense place. I mean, relative to New York City. If things get really, really bad, it's going to start in the center of cities. I've lived in New York. The apartments are expensive and they're, I've lived in New York. The, the apartments are expensive and they're tiny. Right now, people can't go outside. And when you live in a tiny, tiny apartment, you start getting cabin fever after a while and you want to go outside, go for a walk, go to a bar and you can't do it. I don't know. I don't know where you guys all live where, you know, but me being in the suburbs, I'm not feeling the heat all that much. Now I'm worried seeing the rapid rise of deaths, the government instituting the, the, the national, uh, what is it? The, uh, the defense production act, the expansion of more federal authority, curfews, quarantines, bars being shut down. It's scary stuff, but you know what? I'm in a house and I got a backyard. We can go out in the yard. I can get some fresh air. I can walk around. I don't need to go walk around the city. But in New York, you can't do that. In Philly proper, you can't do that. In Chicago, you can't do that. In certain parts of Chicago. Actually, Chicago isn't as dense as New York City. But I can only imagine that people there are going to start freaking out. And they will start freaking out first. Now now we've got some pushback, though. Apparently, Bill, uh, uh, get a grip, Bill. Cuomo blasts panic and fear being created by calls for a total NYC lockdown to fight coronavirus in veiled attack on de Blasio, but says a huge hospital ship will be sent to the city. So Trump has announced there's going to be a Navy hospital vessel sent to New York. And my understanding is it's not to help with coronavirus, but other medical uh, issues. So the people who have coronavirus will be able to go to the hospitals and then everyone else will have these emergency dock, you know, ships being docked. And that's really, really cool, I might add. You know, if you've got a, if you're in a port town, they can bring that ship in. And now we got like a mobile hospital. So that's kind of cool stuff. But there is still stuff to worry about when it comes to New York. This is from, I'm not sure who this, who this guy is. This is Peter Adia. And he says, just received word from an ICU doctor at a small New York hospital. They are officially out of ventilators and are now double venting patients with COVID using the same ventilator for two infected patients. Do everything possible to avoid infection. Please isolate best you can. 
Now, what's really disconcerting here is this tweet. Warning. This is from Chris Jansing of MSNBC. There are concerning reports out of France and Italy of some young people getting seriously ill in ICUs. Dr. Burks says it may be because millennials looked at data from China of coronavirus largely impacting older people. Everyone must heed the guidance. No larger groups. Spring break, South Beach, Miami. Young people are laughing and ignoring these calls. And just because you're young and you're not likely to die doesn't mean you can't get sick. The doctor in China who was put on a ventilator and then died was 34 years old. The mortality rate is high and we have advanced technology. That's what people don't understand. We can look at some of these viruses and with modern treatments, we can reduce the mortality rate from the flu, you know, 100 years ago to the same strain of flu today within reason. There's some things we really can't do, but it looks like things are going to get they're going to get bonkers. Uh, it's the best way I can put it, right? It's going to get crazy, huh? This guy's saying that young people are getting more infected in Italy, where we just saw a massive spike in deaths. Over in New York, they're running out of, they're, uh, they're running out of ventilators. And now we have this. Coronavirus prompts Board of Correction to call for release of inmates from NYC jails. That's tough, man. In Philadelphia, they said they're not going to arrest people for certain crimes, including auto theft and burglary and vandalism. They're straight up saying they're not going to enforce certain crimes anymore. What are they going to do? Show up, take your name down, walk away, and you keep going about it? Now in New York, they want to release people from jails. And that's challenging. I understand why they want to do it. They want to do it because this could get really bad, and we don't want to create more infections. In which case, with people being tested, with, with guards you know, being quarantined, they're naturally saying it's time to release people. There's a reason why I'm highlighting all of these stories. Um, again, mostly it's about showing you the severity of how things are going. But now take a look at this from the ACLU. We're calling for the immediate release of individuals in prisons and jails who, according to the CDC, face heightened risk of severe illness or death due to COVID-19. As public health experts have repeatedly said, federal, state and local officials must take steps now to decarcerate and protect those involved in the criminal legal system. 85,000 people, I believe is the number of prisoners released in Iran. I don't know what a total breakdown would look like, but if we're going to release everyone from our jails, release tons of people from our prisons, stop enforcing laws, younger people are getting sick. We've run out of ventilators. 475 people died overnight in Italy and people are not taking this seriously. Then don't be surprised if New York does institute some hard lockdowns. If the National Guard comes in to enforce those lockdowns and you see something we've never thought could happen, optimism bias will blind you. A lot of people want to say it could never happen here. It couldn't happen to me, but it's literally happening before our eyes. Take all of this seriously. That's all I can really say. I, I, I will I will end by saying it's uh, it's rather shocking to me even that we've entered, uh, we, we've come to this point. It was weeks ago. I was talking about it as though it wasn't here and it was a different country. It's here now. I hope I've shown you enough to explain to you why it's serious. It's both the severity of the virus, the lack of supplies, as well as the response from government. You're going to be locked down and, and, and police aren't going to be enforcing certain crimes. I don't know what else to say or what you, uh, what you expect, but this is legit. It's here and it's real. And I hope most of you went out and got supplies when you had the chance. Uh, my understanding is you can go to grocery store. There's still going to be food and supplies. But as far as I could tell, when I went, shelves were empty, man. They say they're going to be restocked. I don't know when or what the plan is, but needless to say, I'm a bit worried. I I hope you're at least taking it seriously. I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out.